0: Welcome to Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship led economic development. Today's special episode is a recording of a panel that was held with a live virtual audience and was moderated by David Ponraj, founder and CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst. He had guests Tarsha Hearns, Holly Brown, and Kate West. Please enjoy this episode.
1: We'll get started. I know people will uh, keep trickling in. Uh, first of all, I'd like to welcome every one of you to our community of practice event. We have a very exciting conversation today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Entrepreneur of Color Fund that the DEC network uh, has worked on, along with J.P. Morgan Chase and other partners to launch for the city of Dallas. Uh, we have a couple uh, exciting panelists joining us along with uh, uh, Tarsha from the DEC Network. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce everybody, but um, I'm very excited for the, the conversation today. Uh, let me just quickly introduce the panel. Uh, first, we have Tarsha Hearns, who's a senior director for the DEC Network uh, in Dallas, Texas. I'm not going to read the full bio, and I'll let Tarsha kind of talk about her mission uh, and what she's uh, looking to get done. Uh, so uh Uh, I'll just introduce everybody, but I'd love for you all to come back and kind of talk about your work and what you're looking to get done. Uh, Next up, we have Holly Burrow, who's the CEO and founder of Equal Business Solutions, also based uh, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Welcome uh, Holly. Uh, And then third, we have Kay West, who's the VP and market manager uh, for the Texas True Fund Financial Services, uh, overseeing Texas and initiatives in North Louisiana. Uh, Welcome, panelists. Uh, First off, I'll have you, uh, Tarsha, just uh, introduce yourself and a little bit about the DEC network and the work that you're doing there.
2: Hi, welcome. Thank you so much, David, for having me and um, for all the work that you've been doing with our organization for the past uh, nine months now. Um, Again, I'm Tarsha Hearn, Senior Director for the DEC Network, which stands for Dallas Entrepreneur Center. We are a nonprofit organization that provides business support resources, such as um, accelerator programs, pitch competitions, Um, and we do that to support the entrepreneurs in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, We are located, our main entrepreneur center is located in one of the largest neighborhoods in um, Dallas, which is called Oak Cliff. And so I'll be talking more about that, um, but that's about the DEC network.
1: Thank you, Tarsha. Uh, Holly, over to you.
3: It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And as you mentioned, I run a company called Equal Business Solutions, and we partner with organizations like the DEC to be able to help build capacity and be able to serve early stage entrepreneurs and help them understand how to build a business, how to access capital, and how to grow into what they dream it can be. So we work with them one-on-one advisory services and we also build programs in collaboration with the organizations that we support
1: awesome thank you uh, kay
4: hello everyone my name is kay west i serve as the vp for true fund financial services um we're based in new york but we do have a footprint in the texas area our markets consist of the dfw area as well as houston And we're here to serve small businesses. Uh, We provide uh, low cost loans to small business owners, anywhere from 50 to 300,000. And then we also um, have new markets tax credit products. Uh, We find that our products are fairly flexible to really support small business owners, as well as uh, providing that support outside of um, just your ordinary day products that banks may have. So we also uh, provide bonding as well as products that could really help um, increase credit scores for small businesses. And so we're here to build capacity and work with organizations like Holly's and Tarshas to really, really um, meet the needs of the underserved community here in the DFW area.
1: Thank you, Kay. I'm really looking forward to this discussion because we've got three unique perspectives here. Uh, We've got somebody that's got the the core business support organization and kind of convener role with the DEC network. We've got uh, Holly with having, can put on both the business owner hat and being able to think of it as a support organization, getting businesses ready to be able to apply for financial products. And then Kay, we've got you bringing in the CDFI perspective to say, when you're looking to fund businesses, what are you looking for? And I think uh, this can be a very interesting conversation and it'll build on some of the work that the DEC network has been doing in Dallas over the past four and a half years, along with a lot of other partners uh, funded through some major uh, organizations. So I'll start Tarsha by kind of uh, having you provide some background uh, because a lot of the people that are listening to this today and will be listening to this are really looking for kind of what does a roadmap look like for bringing uh, such a conversation to the mar- to their markets first, and then being able to also implement something like this long-term as a solution for Uh, their underrepresented uh, businesses. So I'll ask first, Arsha, what what was the motivation for the DEC network to say, this is something that we want to invest time and resources uh, to want to solve uh, for Dallas?
2: Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, Really, this is a a follow-up project. Back in 2019, um, there was a study conducted around the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Dallas And in that um, study that was conducted, there were several gaps that were identified specifically for the Southern sector of Dallas. And it uncovered that there were several um, needs that needed to be addressed for entrepreneurs. Um, Capital was one of them, building an ecosystem was one of them, um, also providing quality business support, such as mentoring, training, and access to resources. So this, and here we are, what, five, six, five years later, five years later, we are, the DEC, decided to follow up with that um, study and work closely with J.P. Morgan Chase, who funded the initial study, Um, to now focus on uh, looking at that one particular gap, which is access to capital. So this project, even though, you know, we have been working with all of our ecosystem partners over the last nine months, but this has actually been an initiative that has been in the works for several years with a collaborative of organizations across the Metroplex.
1: So in terms of uh, why now, what was the motivation to say we need to solve this now? What was the motivation to say you know it's been a problem forever? What what, what was the the thing that said okay you know this this problem needs needs a real solution?
2: Yeah, you know I think uh, timing is always yeah. you know very important. I mean coming out of COVID um, and the whole world seeing how uh entrepreneurs of color were just kind of left behind getting access to PPP um, and those entrepreneurs of color who didn't even have the proper paperwork uh, yeah. or even resources or acumen to even go after that so I think coming out of that and seeing how those communities got hit the hardest by covid really um just, Opened up our eyes even wider to know that now is the time. Now that, you know, COVID has passed us and we are fully back in business, now is just the time to focus on um, closing that gap and identifying real solutions that um, an ecosystem can implement.
1: Holly, let me bring you into this discussion as a small business owner yourself, you know, you're acutely aware of the needs that that capital is such an important component of staying in business, but also as a support organization that where you help businesses get financially ready, tell us a little bit about like, what were your perspectives as you went through and were part of the focus groups leading up to today, what were your takeaways from, from doing this project?
3: So some of my takeaways are kind of the same takeaways I had from the the entrepreneur journey that I personally had of going in and not understanding why I got rejected for things. Some of the same things that have happened to me are some of the stories that we've been able to hear and start to be able to address some of the situations with. So I think that that's that's my key takeaway is that the, the stories that we keep hearing, the things that we keep understanding the more that we talk to entrepreneurs, the more we understand about what they need and how to be able to provide the best resources for that, our initial instincts were correct. Like they they were not incorrect. We just need to build better channels and better ways to be able to deliver it to the audience that needs to be able to utilize them. And that's that's the the key. The biggest takeaway that I had from it is we've got to figure out how to get the opportunity to take advantage of this in front of the appropriate audience so that they can really, really capitalize on it and use this opportunity to grow their businesses.
1: Yeah, thank you. And Kay, I'll also bring you into this discussion here about when you look at it from a CDFI perspective, I think that uh, all the CDFIs we talked to also said that they are acutely aware of this problem, right? How do you, what do you, what is your perspective on, Especially a market like Dallas, uh, this solution being a way to kind of solve for traditionally businesses being rejected at a, a high rate.
4: So, I do agree with Holly and Tarsha. Um, there, okay, and and I would also say this: it takes time to create funds of the size that the deck is trying to create, and it also takes, you know, the banking institutions and private institutions to really understand the need and to fit their guidelines around those needs. And that takes time to change because they may have dollars allocated one year to the next and they haven't really changed their rules around how they want to fund small businesses. And we've seen that change drastically after COVID, right? The banks are starting to understand that they need to change their guidelines to, to fit the needs of the underserved community. And that's taken more time than than what we, Um, have hoped but I think you know we have I'm optimistic because we have people at the table now who are now saying we're changing our guidelines to fit the needs of the community and that's matching dollars where small businesses need the opportunity to be viable Um, I would say also as we see the communities change and the need to inject capital in the communities not just for development projects but the pre-development the amount of time that it takes and the parameters around the pre-development process for a small business them understanding the technical piece of what they need to ask the banks that's a part of the support that the bsos are now offering because it was it was a checkbox before you know can you come to us do you have a business plan can i help you with the business plan but now it's also understanding what the what the cities need from the small business owners to even start or even to operate within the parameters of a building or a place and then it also takes the bso's understanding it and being able to support them there so those gaps have now been closed in and i think that's that's momentum you know we we are seeing the alliance and uh, the coalitions of the community, the banking, the private in- institutions all coming together saying, let's figure this out for small businesses. And that's where the CDFIs are able to plug in and support on the capital access needs.
1: Yeah, go ahead, Tasha.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to chime in because I mean she's making a really good point. And you know, what she's talking about is what we, even in the first study, Um, It identified there wasn't an ecosystem here in Dallas, right? And so that first study, that was the first thing um, that that collaborative decided to work on is establishing um, the Dallas Build ecosystem uh, to address um, those things. And even following up with the study that we're doing, uh, we're seeing how important it is for each ecosystem member to understand not only what the entrepreneur needs, but what the members of the ecosystem needs and what the ecosystem is lacking. Um, So in the study that we conducted with you, David, we saw that some of the business support organizations weren't even educated around how to refer a borrower, a potential borrower, how to vet them, Many of them don't even understand the five seats of, of credit. So um, therein lies a whole layer of issues in itself that is contributing to this gap um, in capital.:
1: Yep, absolutely. Uh, Holly.
3: Well, and I think that Kay kind of touched on something that, that became really acutely aware to, to me a few years ago. I had the opportunity to work with a, a different CDFI during COVID to help with PPP, and something that, that became really obvious to me in that journey was that we're not doing the right connecting of dots. So what Kay mentioned was like, we're not teaching entrepreneurs how to plug into what the city needs and how do you understand what the economic development spaces are looking for and how can they help and all of these things that the entrepreneurs need sort of a hand to hold to be able to support them through that learning curve. And traditionally, that's not something that's present in the lending space because they don't have the time or the bandwidth to be able to support that learning curve. So it just didn't exist. And so not only were borrowers being denied, they then were not able to capitalize on any of the other resources that more experienced entrepreneurs in spaces actually know exist and they know that they can go to them for support. They didn't even know they were there. So it's a matter of not even knowing what questions to ask and then no guideposts there to be able to help with that. So I think that Kay brought that up and I thought it was a really good point to, to double click on too.
1: Yeah. And, and I'll continue on this vein. Uh, so uh, Tarsha, if you want to kind of just tell us a couple other things that stood out, right? Just to kind of level set before we jump into the solutions, what were some other things that were like, wow, like we know it, but to see it in the data, then you're like, okay, now we can't ignore it. It's out there. Right. Uh, what were some other things that that were in the fi- findings that were like really momentum builders were like, okay, now we got to go solve this. Like, I remember we had like a conversation with the funders who so were like, yeah, we want to see the outcome. And then when they saw the outcome, they're like, okay, we got to do something about it now.
2: Yeah. You know, just like Holly, I too worked for a CDFI. I too have been an entrepreneur And so you, you do, you know, these things because this is the world you live in, right? Because you either experience it yourself or you've worked with someone or tried to help someone who's experienced it. But some of the things that really stuck out, um, that one that I already knew was the high number of entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs of color that were declined by CDFIs. So again, having worked for one, I saw that internally, but seeing it collectively across five different CDFIs, having seen that 53% of entrepreneurs of color were declined by a nonprofit lender, that blew my mind. Um, so that was one thing that stood out. And then the other one was the fact that over 50% of the um, people surveyed in this um, study who needed a loan, wanted to apply for a loan, but didn't because they felt like they would be declined. So those were the two things that really stood out for me. And it's very personal for me, because you know, as an entrepreneur myself, just like Holly said, I've, I've, you know, I needed funding at one point and I was just so afraid that one, I didn't want to take on the debt and number two, wasn't even sure that they would fund me. Um, So it's, it's very personal, but it's also disturbing to actually see those numbers um, that come back from those entrepreneurs that were surveyed.
1: Yeah and I'll have Holly react to this. Holly, the other one that we found was that uh, people did not know why they were declined, which was at the, and that was over 50% of people did not know why they were declined. And that was at the heart of the problem because if you didn't know how you why you declined, there's no way you're gonna actually get better. And when we shared that even with banks, they were not surprised. They were like, yeah, you know, we have a generic letter we send out. We don't tell them why. What, what's your reaction to that in that, you know, how do you fix a problem that you don't know exists?
3: Uh, how do you fix a problem you don't know exists? I, I, I resonate with it loudly personally, because I have a personal story that I'm sure everyone on the panel has heard me tell, but I'll tell it again just for, for everyone else that, that hasn't heard it is as an entrepreneur, first business I ever owned, had an opportunity to grow, needed to go into the bank and access some capital. First time I went into the bank, they literally laughed at me. It was an absolutely horrifying experience. I never went back. I was incredibly scrappy. I figured out how to do what I needed to do. You know, I sold my car. I did all the things that entrepreneurs entrepreneurs do to be able to make things happen. But I never actually knew why I was turned down until that opportunity to work with the CDFI a few years back. And I was able to sort of sit on the other side of the table And it dawned on me that the reason that I had been declined was not because I had a lot of things in order and I kind of, I had at least some glimpse of what I needed to do, but I had done things in the wrong order. And I would never, ever, ever have known that had I not been able to sit on the other side of that table and see how important that order of operations was. So something as simple as that, and so the opportunity for me to be able to go out and support entrepreneurs learning about this process has been like the like it lights me on fire and gets me excited every single morning because it is the change that we need to make is they need to understand the intricacies of how these processes work so that they can avoid really silly pitfalls like doing things in the wrong order. Like that, that makes no sense that that's a reason I couldn't grow my business. And why didn't anyone tell me that? Why did someone choose to laugh at me instead of telling me, hey, you did this in the wrong order. Please go out, try this again in three months and let's continue the conversation. This is just a crazy situation. So how do you solve a problem you don't know exists? You can't. So we have to change that cycle and that pattern for sharing that information.
1: Okay, hey, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll ask you one more question, Kay, to answer with your, uh, with your comments. I'll ask you one thing. So the third thing we found, Kay, was that businesses did not apply because they thought they would not be approved. So eventually what ended up happening was that people just kind of self-selected out of the process because they're like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother my time with this. Uh, I'm not even going to apply. So then what ended up happening was that people just kind of were disenfranchised from the process itself. And so if you're doing something like this, how do you go back and say, no, 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 we're trying something out, believe us now, right? So yeah, share your thoughts, Kay, and then also would love to get your feedback on. That was another surprising finding for us was that there was a majority of businesses that just did not apply because they didn't think they'd be approved.
4: So I want to answer this in a way that does not take away from anybody, but also answers it in a way that I feel like um, is an accurate perspective. And so, you know, historically, most of the people from the banks, you know, were not people of color. And so, you know, redlining is a real thing. Historically, as the banks have changed and uh, have become more, I believe, inclusive in their own uh, practices and establishments, I think we've seen some diversity. But the truth of the matter is when one of those people historically has been in the institution and they go to the next institution, they carry some of those same biases, prejudice with them. And it's unfortunate, but it's a historical thing. And the same thing with CDFIs. When one person leaves one CDFI, they go to another CDFI, they they hold some of those same practices um, and biases. And it's unfortunate, but it's taking some time to kind of read Um, these organizations of these types of practices. And I would say like the conversation that we were able to have yesterday with the FDIC, that was a great conversation to be in a room full of banks and ask them tangible questions as to their lending practices. Uh, One of which is, you know, if you have your sign outside of a project of a development project for, um, for funding, and this is not an equitable practice. This is a one-off thing. How do the rest of small businesses know this is something that you don't fund? Or how do you even share you know, that information with them of their lending criteria up front? Because each bank has their, and CDFIs have, have their own uh, criteria in, in which they process the underwriting piece. Um, and so learning that up front, it's helpful to the small business. The more we're able to, bridge the gap on the relationship piece. Relationship banking has become a huge thing now, not just for the big banks who can afford to do it, even for the small uh, hometown banks. We really have to hone in even as a CDFI on the relationships within the community. And so that's why we're focused on South Dallas because we're tracking impact, but we also, in order for us to make the impact, we have to have boots on the ground. We have to have our people present, knowing the projects, knowing the small business owners, knowing what's happening, what's what's coming down the pipeline. Um, and then it, it it goes hand in hand with some of the other things that's going on in the community. So as the community develops, we want to be there, um, not, not to displace people, but we want the small mom and pop shops to be there. We want to fund those small businesses who are not uh, a major retail chain. We want to have of that placemaking within communities. And in order for us to do that, we have to know what's going on in the community and build relationships with people. I think that that's a huge part of it. You can't sit beside, behind a desk in banking or even a CDFI and know what's going on in the community. You have to go out and build a relationship. So I would answer that that way. And then I would also say building trust in the community is a real thing. We have our own fears, like Tasha said, <laughs> as long, you're fearful and you don't even know why. And you want to build that relationship, and you don't know how. But when the banks and the CDFIs come into the community and they make their presence known, that's a part of that building relationships uh, piece that you know is 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 sustainable. You know, you build a relationship and they may not be ready today. Six months from now, they may be ready. And that's what we want to see that transition from the institution to the boots on the ground to the actual lending. Um, it has to be a relationship that makes that happen.
1: Well, I'll, t- I'll share a fact we found in the study that 100% backs that. So guess which entity had the highest rate of uh, funding to people of color? It was credit unions, which makes sense. A lot of these credit unions are building relationships into the community. They provided loans at a higher rate than CDFIs to people of color, which also was mind blowing for us. But again, everybody, nobody thought it was surprising. They just like felt like the data validated. And it's exactly like you said, those credit unions have those relationships and they know what these business owners are up to and they can have that more intimate relationship where they can actually fund a business knowing that it's not just about the numbers, right? There's a whole trust built into it. Um, So I, Tarsha, go ahead. And as, as part of the Tarsha, could you also then tell us kind of the, the recommendations for the study as part of your, your response?
2: Yeah. So just to add to what Kay was saying, um, we have a member at our Redbird um, Center, which is a um, co-working space and uh, where we house entrepreneurs and do programming One, I personally referred one of our members to our local CDFI partner. That individual spent about 90 days working with that CDFI to to 90 days later being turned down um, and not even told why they were turned down. Um, It was troubling for me because I gave the referral, but it was very discouraging and disappointing for the entrepreneur, and eventually this entrepreneur was referred to a small credit union where he was able to get his $150,000 loan to purchase more vehicles and for working capital. And so I tell that story because if it were not for a relationship with that banker at that small credit union, it's very likely that that the entrepreneur would have just said, you know what, forget it. I'm going to bootstrap. I'm going to charge up all my credit cards, which eventually is not a good thing. Um, So, you know, that is one of the outcomes that we're trying, or actually one of the barriers that we're trying to remove is, one is um, helping entrepreneurs understand why they were declined. Um, And to Holly's point, there has to be um, some education from a perspective of this is exactly what the funder is looking for. And so let's reverse engineer our approach to start with educating. If if the goal is access to capital, then understand what the funders are looking for, understanding what those barriers are, and then educating all involved around. So if it means establishing uh, relationships between all of the ecosystem partners so that they have those trusted connectors. Um, that's one thing. Another outcome that we're looking at is actually um, training business support organizations in the area. Um, so that's a huge outcome as well. Uh, the other outcome that we're looking at is, and this is to what Kay said, uh, it was it's great that she was in the room with um, FDIC. Right talking about redlining talking about changing the rules uh, of engagement, because that's one of the huge outcomes that we're looking to put a major dent in it may take time to change fully and do a 360. But if we can kind of move the needle 45 degrees, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, I think that is a major um, outcome for this is to look at how as a a community who all say we really want to change uh, and remove the barriers and level the playing field, how can we come up with an affordable loan product or a solution that everyone can come on board with um, to close that access to capital gap.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of just uh, share a couple more uh, things that we saw in the recommendations, and then would love to get, Holly, your reaction and Kay's reaction as well. Uh, of course, the, the thing that you all have talked about, which is that how do you rebuild trust And how do you rebuild trust where you bring in the community support organizations, you bring in the churches, the religious institutions, the the local uh, uh, watering holes, if you will, right, the places where people go to so that you can actually rebuild the trust and say that, okay, you know, you might have been rejected before, but this time we're going to be a lot more intentional, even if there is a no, there is a process through which you can come back uh, and be able to be capital ready. So that was one. Of course, we're going to talk a little bit about the mechanics of the fund. So the recommendation to have a fund and being really creative about not just creating another loan product in the Dallas market. There are nine CDFIs. We don't need more capital. We need capital that can actually solve the problem. And so how do you build a design? How do you design a product that all of the current funders can play in? uh, But at the same time, it can move the needle on uh, making capital more accessible for people of color. Uh, Tarsha talked about the technical assistance for BSOs and how do you kind of train the BSOs to be uh, uh, more targeted in getting those businesses uh, capital ready. Uh, Another interesting thing that uh, in the focus groups we found was that there wasn't information sharing between the various organizations that support a business owner. So a business owner might go to one CDFI, have one conversation, go to another business support organization, but because those two organizations don't talk, they might not even be working on the same things, or they might hear two different responses from two different CDFIs. So how do you have a coordinated approach so that the business owner is at the center of the solution that's being uh, created? Then thinking about outreach, uh, what does marketing look like? Because one of the things that uh, the focus groups also talked about is that, If you're not in the community itself, then business owners are not gonna trust you. So how do you actually create marketing that brings you into the community? And a lot of the conversations around access. How do you create access to resources for uh, business owners? Uh, And then the last two things were around uh, a digital navigation toolkit. So if there are nine CDFIs and other BSOs, how does a business owner know how to navigate this easily? Uh, And then the last one was around, uh, and I think a lot of this are already in play or being built right now, formal accelerator programs you could go through uh, so that you can become financially ready or like you're too early for capital. What does an accelerator or a pre-accelerator look like that gets you financially ready? So Holly, looking at these recommendations and you've been part of the task force, the focus groups, uh, you've had you know your hands and knees deep in this. What are some of these solutions that excite you as well and, and things that you think uh, we should be focusing on?
3: Sure. I mean, I think I'll, I'll start by kind of touching on that we stand at a really interesting juncture point because of what we do as a company. We're able to support many of the different BSOs and CDFIs within this geographic space. And so we bring to the table this very unique perspective of we know which entrepreneurs are working with all of that. And we end up hearing the stories of all of this sort of cross-hatched information that they're getting and some of that, that sort of mess that gets accidentally made because, and, and it's all rooted in a lack of trust. And so I think the, that, that the core of the problem is that we need to do a better job of being able to build that trust. Because if these entrepreneurs trusted the resources that were being put in front of them, they would be more transparent about the fact that they're working with multiples of them and they would be able to capitalize on the resources that are there at a more full rate because then they they can get this from over here and that from over there, instead of accidentally simply doubling down on some of the same resources again and again and getting sort of an insufficient education because they're not able and don't feel that they can trust the spaces to tell them that they're doing all of these different activities, accelerators, programs, And so we kind of stand at an interesting juncture and can help bridge some of those gaps in between with knowledge because we're able to build those trusted relationships. We are an organization of all entrepreneurs serving entrepreneurs, and we focus on the one-on-one conversations. And so that's really where some of that trust is being able to be built is because we have the time and the bandwidth to be able to sit down with them and address all of the insecurities and the worries and the things that they don't feel comfortable voicing White when you shake their hand. You have to have that that time and that runway to be able to build the relationship before they feel comfortable saying that they're worried about something or that they need a particular resource.
1: Yeah, Darsha, yeah, jump in.
2: Yeah, uh, just continuing on that trust conversation. Uh, we have the trust issue between the entrepreneur, the CDFI, and the BSOs, but we also have that trust issue between the BSOs and other BSOs, BSOs, and when I say BSOs, I mean business support organizations, um, and CDFIs, and so we even had these discussions when we were doing the focus groups for this study, and I think a lot of the the lack of trust start from the level of BSO to BSO, BSO to CDFI, the lack of trust is is because of lack of knowledge and lack of understanding, right? So the in my example that I just gave, you know, the fact that I was sent over a client to a CDFI, worked. They worked with them for ninety days, turned them down. I'm not going to trust sending a, another client to that the that um, CDFI. However, if I were educated upfront around what their practices were, what their guidelines were, I would have never sent that uh, entrepreneur to that CDFI. And so there is where some of those trust issues start is, is strictly around, hey, I just don't have a clear understanding of what you do and how to refer and what you're looking for to approve an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, okay, go ahead.
2: I was gonna
4: say, uh, Tarsha said it, the training piece for BSOs and even ESOs is so important because the the biggest gap in the entrepreneur obtaining a loan and the disconnect between the business uh, support organizations is actually the products and services that they're offering. And so the more the BSOs can be trained on the packaging piece, I think that's the biggest gap, the packaging piece, getting their tax documentation together. You know, the mixers are fine, the networking events are fine, but if you're not helping that that, um, that small business package their information, you're really missing the needle. And that's, that's where the CDFIs, the lending uh, institutions are coming back to say, let's build strategic partnerships. So with... True fund, we've moved away from some of our cohort-style training because it was a catch-all. You know, we serve second-stage businesses, and for some of those cohorts, you have entrepreneurs who just starting out or don't even have a clue as to what they want to do with their business and don't even have a business plan come to some of our events, and then they're not ready. Um, so how can we partner with uh, an organization like The Dick or uh, even Holly's organization to say, okay, this, this, is, our, this, is, this is our lending products this is who we fund, and this is how we get them ready. The more we can do that and then train other BSOs on that piece, I think we'll close a huge gap because what's happening right now, there's a lot of funding available for BSOs and even there's competition, right? And that's why a lot of them fall out because they're competing for the same programs. And then when one gets left out, it's like, I've done all this work and I don't have any funding to actually do the work. The more we can include them on these funding initiatives, build collaborations and train them and also incentivize them to do the work, that's where we're going to build that connectivity and we're on the technical assistance piece by being strategic and focusing on the packaging piece.
1: Love it. Uh, go ahead, Holly.
4: I utterly really resonate
3: with that. And I will say that, that one of the things that I really wanted to mention is because of the position that we hold and the way that we are able to support both the spaces and the entrepreneurs, the thing that I, I want to come across loud and clear is we need more transparency between the organizations because what we've been able to do is, and unbeknownst to many of the organizations, because we work with so many of them, is we're able to sort of massage what each one is Offering because we're helping build it and so we're sort of able to stop that duplication of things. And so it's been something since the since we've begun this company that's been a goal is to stop some of this duplication of effort and and have conversations and say. Okay, you at this CDFI you're building a program, we know that the deck already has this program, why don't we build a referral process for that and let's build something else. So that we're stopping this constant rotation of the exact same information being shared. And one of the really cool things that we've been able to do in the last year is build some, exactly what Kay mentioned, is we've been working with some CDFIs and some banks to build some process and online education that actually walks entrepreneurs through that process of preparing and packaging so that the first time they're hearing it isn't when they're going to apply. And so being able to sort of reach that barrier and present that information in terms of, this is literally exactly how you prepare to do this before you're actually going and doing it has been a real game changer. So I the transparency piece has got to, got to be front and center, which I think this is gonna make a lot of headway in being able to do that by bringing all the organizations together with a similar goal.
1: So Kay, uh, I want you to uh, go next, but then uh, we're gonna jump right after that quickly into the final design of the solution. Because there are questions from the audience, I'm then gonna turn it over to the audience to ask a few of their questions and we'll also make it interactive so they can uh, uh, have their questions answered. But first Kay, go ahead and, and share your yeah. thoughts.
4: So David, there was a question in the chat and I just wanted to chime in. Uh, sure. I think it was Antoine who asked, how could economic development organizations play a role Uh, to support small businesses. And I would say they could help across the board in so many different ways, whether it's uh, making it faster, cheaper, easier for small businesses by partnering um, and on the the city side, making it the restrictions and zoning, the permitting piece, they play a vital role in making those decisions um, on the municipal side of what that looks like for small businesses. Now, they can help on that front. They can also help with funding. Uh, economic development organizations, you know, they can build revolving um loan funds. They can, they can even, you know, create funds based off of tax incentives. There's so many things that they can do. It really just takes them building the capacity and, and the know-how and focusing on the small business piece. Because the city of Dallas is focused on that. From all fronts, I would say the uh, community development piece that on the economic development side, on the housing side, all of those different pieces play a part in, in the support for um, small business owners. But it really takes um, an out-of-the-box approach and in, in sometimes looking at best and promise promising practices outside of Dallas. Uh, one of those things is the one-stop shop model. I've seen so many organizations try to do it and there's still a huge miss on what that looks like because they're not decentralizing those, those offerings out into the different parts of the community. And the more that you can do that and help the community be sustainable within that neighborhood and creating those one-stop shops within that neighborhood, the more you're going to build capacity um, for those small businesses within the communities and neighborhoods to be viable. The hub and spoke model sometimes work, but it needs funding. It needs um guidelines they need to pull the restrictions back on the permitting zoning and also they need to help on the on the capital side of supporting uh those entities to do the work because it costs money to do the service delivery not just for the bsos but um cdcs and other community organizations who are out there doing their part they need funding and so that's where the economic development organizations play a huge role
2: in making that happen
1: yeah well said so, tasha go ahead
2: Uh, Antoine, you just opened up a can of worms, but I won't let a whole lot of them come out, so I do, (laughs) but Kay, I mean, she hit the nail on the head, Um, you know, the deck at Redbird is located in an area that is about 64% Black and Hispanic, it's the largest neighborhood in the city of Dallas, and the largest neighborhood in the city of Dallas has the largest minority population. So clearly, as you know around the country, when you have those communities that are largely Black and Hispanic, they are under-resourced. Um, but at the same time, here in the Oak Cliff area of Dallas, it's it's a um, it's a food desert right? There's not a grocery store nearby. I mean, the, the next grocery store is, is actually going to come in 2025, but it's a food desert. It's a infrastructure, you know, it has infrastructure and broadband access issues. Uh, north of 30, there's hundreds of banks. South of 30, where Oak Cliff is, there's less than that. So there, it is definitely an under-resourced area. And to Kay's point, when, when we look at it as entrepreneurship is economic development, if we invest in revitalizing those areas, which the Redbird area is under revitalization, uh, new, com- new businesses are coming, the Starbucks that's located there is like the second or third highest revenue generating Starbucks in the whole city. Um, so when you bring that type of activity to the area, it's creating jobs, and the more you have that one-stop shop, which is what the deck, is tra- the deck at Redbird is trying to be for that community, is you can come in here and get connected to resources. Um, we are a hub with the Community Navigator Program, and so for the last two years, we have been working through this hub and spoke model. Um, And coming together collectively to fundraise and look at the core competencies of each of some of these uh, ecosystem partners and saying, okay, well, you're good at X, you're good at X, let's collaborate together, let's fundraise together to see how we can support the community in which we serve. So thank you, Kay, uh, for, for going more in depth on the economic development side of that.
1: Yeah. And I'll just add, you know, we work with economic development agencies as our primary client. And what we found is that the the most important thing we can do to help economic developers play a vital role is to educate them on the impact of supporting small and micro businesses. Because it's a lot of it is what we call non-sexy work. You know, a small business doesn't make it. It doesn't give you that 500 jobs that an Amazon HQ2 brings to Dallas. Right, it doesn't make headlines, but how do you show that a small business actually creates the net new jobs in the city? That they actually live and work in that community, and the dollars actually get spent back in the community? All of the those things uh, are things that we need to educate uh, economic development agencies on to say that there is actually true ROI in supporting small businesses, and they have a critical role to play in supporting philanthropy and supporting BSOs and supporting all these other entities. Because ultimately, the taxpayer dollars benefit the city and the state and the federal government. And then that, that money being reinvested in community development is actually a really good use and one of the primary areas that economic development should play in. So thank you, Antoine, for that wonderful question. And thank you all for kind of you know highlighting um, that that's, that's a critical component of the solution uh, that we need to think about. So I'll jump a little bit uh, into the solution itself because I want to make sure that we don't uh, have this discussion without actually talking about what we ended up uh proposing as a solution and I'd love all of your thoughts on this I'll I'll kind of show, share the the thought behind this but Tarsha I'd love for you to kind of talk about like the how and and the what uh behind it uh when when we looked at across the ecosystem and looked at other ecosystems as well we looked at several other markets where there is an entrepreneur of color fund we looked at the entrepreneur of color fund that was established by JP Morgan Chase with 100 millions the hundred million dollars that that Lisk helped deploy, and we looked at Washington D.C. and New Orleans and Detroit and all these other markets. What we found, and we actually presented this uh, back to LISC and to J.P. Morgan Chase, was that 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 those funds were primarily driving capacity, uh, and rightfully so. It was creating capacity at the CDFIs. It was creating capacity to get this into those markets, but it wasn't addressing a core data point we found in our study, which was that entrepreneur of color color were being declined at a higher rate uh, for credit score, debt to income ratio, uh, and other factors that weren't part of the design of these other entrepreneur of color funds. So what we said was, can we actually create a solution that could uniquely test out this hypothesis that it's not the capacity that's the problem, it's the trust and the design of the solution that is a problem and say, we might be wrong, it might be not doable, but at least we will create new solutions versus just creating more capacity, knowing that there are nine CDFIs that service that market, do we really need a 10th or do we really need an additional fund that does the same thing? So that was the original design, but Tasha. I'd kind of love for you to kind of go a little bit deeper into the mechanics of what we're designing and, and what that's trying to solve.
2: Yeah, um, you know, let me just be clear. The deck is not trying to solve it, right? Because we have, this is a huge problem to solve for one organization and one team, right? So what the collaborative, and when I say collaborative, because there's, and I think that's part of the reason why these gaps continue to exist is because not an, uh, not enough people are coming together to solve the problem, right? It is one person or one organization trying to solve the problem. And so here in Dallas, everyone is operating in silos. We're all working on the problem and we all have our little part of how we want to solve it. But in order to really move that needle uh, way forward, we have to collaborate so with this initiative we worked with about oh gosh how many maybe 20 plus organizations to come together to solve the problem um and so so what we're designing is a loan product um with the perspectives of those business support organizations with the perspective of the cdfis the traditional financial institutions, as well as the entrepreneurs, right? So, you know, I don't know about all the other studies out there, but I know that the some of the ones that I've been part of, it's always been, hey, we're just going to survey the entrepreneurs and we always get the same answer, right? (laughs) But do we ever bring the entrepreneur together with all of those? And so I think that's what makes what we're doing as a collaborative unique is that we have all the perspectives at the table, and we're getting input from each one of them. The DEC is not designing this loan fund. It is the the, uh, capital access collaborative, the ecosystem that is interested in in changing the rules or rules of engagement, we're all coming together. So we are looking at a loan product that is gonna remove some of the main barriers such as collateral. Kay, you probably know better than I do how oftentimes entrepreneurs will go to a CDFI or financial institution and they don't have the collateral or enough of the collateral to match the amount they want to back uh, borrow. So, we're looking at a loan fund that will remove that barrier. We're also looking at de- designing a loan fund that would, um, if the cash flow is there, just like the example I provided with the entrepreneur, he had the cash flow. He actually had the collateral. I still don't know why that man was turned down, right? And, and he had the credit score. I mean, his credit score was in the high 600s but he was still turned down for some reason. And so we're looking at what are the things that banks and the CDFIs, what are those real reasons? And we're saying, hey, well, if an entrepreneur doesn't have the collateral, how let's go after fundraising for that loan guarantee so that it makes it easier for a CDFI that was designed to provide funding for those underrepresented communities, it makes it easier for them to say yes if we can provide a loan guarantee or fundraise for loan loss reserve, and therefore it's a little less riskier for that CDFI to say yes to that borrower. So those are some of the main key elements that we're looking at to somewhat change um, how we approach uh, funding uh, to those entrepreneurs.
1: Thank you,
4: Tarsha. Okay, go ahead. Tarsha's, she's correct. You know, the more that the CDFIs can reduce their own internal risk with the loan loss reserves, I think um, that makes for a better impact within the community because CDFIs, they're 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 here to make money as well. They have to be able to sustain their operations. And so just knowing that going into it. But then you also have to think about the size and the population of Dallas. Over 7 million within the MSA, one fund is not gonna bring you that much impact. You need several different types of fund and different streams of capital injected within the community to really make a difference. And one of the biggest things that we're lacking right now is actually seed and venture capital. I don't know if you know, but uh, the state of Texas was not uh, approved for venture or state capital like Louisiana for the SSBCI funding. And, and that's the difference. But we need more BSOs, more banks and uh, institutions to advocate for that at the state level so we can have diversified funding um, within our market. And that's where we're gonna make the difference by bringing different types of capital. And most of the private dollars that are flowing through Dallas is, is outside capital. It's not coming from you know, our, our local territory and state. And the more we can um, have those private dollars here, we're gonna see the return on investment, but it takes that coalition building. It takes transparency, sharing um, the, the good stories of what's going on within our neighborhoods and communities for people to want to invest and make that type of investment. And the state has to know how much we care about seed and venture capital to diversify and help to diversify funding um, in these areas.
1: Since we have UK here, last one question I'm curious about. You look at Houston and you look at Austin and you look at the amount of VC capital and uh, if you go to Capital Factory, you see you know uh, uh, business after business that's got all this VC funding. Dallas being such a dynamic market, uh, why isn't there local capital in Dallas? I'm just curious. I've heard this from others as well. Uh, it, what's, what's missing in Dallas?
4: I think it's there, there are pieces of it that we can say San Antonio as well as uh, Austin, they went after uh, the, the large California tech companies way before Dallas started to. And they were like, come here. They incentivized them on the economic development side. And so when you talk about business attraction, that matters going able to go after these big companies and bring them su- subsidiaries here, um, who also uh, play a role in economic development, community impact, funding, you know, small businesses. Dallas wasn't on the cutting edge of doing that like the other cities were. I think they realize, you know, that now, but in hindsight, you know, we're in a good place to say, how can we do this a different way? If it's not going to be from the private investment side, what can we do at the state level to also change the way we fund small businesses? And I can say this, Louisiana Economic did a, did a great job with going down into the communities, collaborating with banks, BSOs, and asking them what they needed. They partnered with the private institutions to say, okay, we want to bring a uh, uh, biomedical company here. We want to be the next big state in uh, tech and how do we do that? And that was through the treasury um, with SSBCI funding. So they made their application um, um, that they laid out their application in a way that spoke to the needs of the community. And I don't think we quite did that. And that's where I'm kind of put on my political hat, but I think we need more people to speak up about that and champion uh, that at the state level.
1: Yeah, that that's unique about Texas. Of all the states that we supported the SSBCI, Texas was one of the few states that did not get TA dollars, which is hard because then how do you get the loans to those micro businesses, right? Yeah. Uh, so we're we're yeah, actually meeting. yeah exactly. Uh, so uh, I'll I'll kind of just switch tax a little bit uh, just because we have people that are listening and will be listening that want to do this in their communities. Tarsha, could you kind of speak to uh, if you went back and did this, you know, what would you change or what were some lessons learned around the mechanics of bringing the community together uh, and thinking, you know, before we talk about next steps and where we're headed, you know, if we could reflect for a second, you know, what are some lessons that you've learned, both good and bad, things that you would do again, right? Things that went really well and things that, you know, you would say, okay, we, we, would, we could have tweeted
2: yeah, absolutely. I think what we did really well, um, and, and I, I commend the Dallas ecosystem for this, is that uh, we have already been working together since that Next Street study in 2019. So, you know, we already had a committed group of people coming to the table who had been working together for five plus years, so the, that those relationships was there. There's a certain level of trust that was already there. So I think that is what worked well is that bringing the people to the to this project that were already working um, together, but also had boots on the ground that could give some very valuable insight. So definitely, anyone out there listening. Um, that is what really worked well for us. Um, and I actually, I want to bring up a point in terms of lesson learns or what could be tweaked, um, a point that was posted in the Q&A about looking at some previous um, funds that were here in this area and what happened to them, what happened to it. And why it didn't continue, and what were some of the lessons learned from that fund, so that as we move forward with this one, we understand, um, you know, what those roadblocks or barriers were. So I think that's one thing. While many of the people that are at the table for this particular um, project were also part of that previous loan um, product during um, COVID. So a lot of the insight came, you know that was provided and feedback and advice actually came from people who were part of um, some of the previous loan products and programs out there. So uh but I think that's one thing to tweak is um I, I mean it's a lesson learned, but at the same time it shows how as an ecosystem there's still gaps because we as ecosystem partners aren't all, aren't all of us are not aware of all the loan products and funds that are out there. And so that there means we have to continue to have these conversations and bring everyone to the table uh, so that everyone is knowledgeable and aware. So I would say that would be um, a lesson learned is just having better knowledge and understanding of what is already out there or what was out there and why it did or did not
4: work. You're
2: muted.
1: Thank you. I was hoping I'll go through this whole presentation without doing it once, but there you go. Uh, Lasted an hour. Uh, So Holly, you're next. You were part of this. uh, I don't know if you're part of the previous studies, but definitely this one, you've been part of the entire one as part of the task force what is something as you reflect back that you would say was an aha moment for you or something that you would do differently?
3: What I do differently. And I was part of part of the prior work as well. Um, and I do think that that one thing that we did better this time than the last time was, I think we had more involvement from the community. And I don't know whether that simply came from this is an iterative process where you know it began and people started paying attention and now more people are wanting to be involved in the work or, I, or maybe just timing is kismet and it just simply worked that way I don't know exactly what the root cause of that is but I think that this time we did have a lot more involvement and that was that was very exciting to me because I can remember being on meetings from the prior work and there would be just a handful of us on there. You know, there are just a few people doing the work and then every now and again, other people would pop in just to see what was going on. But this process has been much more heavily attended and much more involved with the with all the, the different players within the community.
1: And I think part of it was also everybody realizing that we do want to see change and the fact that we're willing to do something that is very different versus come up with the same solution. From the very beginning, we messaged that uh, saying that we're not looking to gain more insights. From the very beginning, we said, this time around, uh, yeah, we kind of know what the problem is. You know, asking more questions doesn't give you news uh, problems. The problem is there. So we were very determined in the communication to say, this time around, we're, and Tarsha has told me that in the very, very first meeting. She's like, listen, I know we have to do the study, but the study is only a baseline. We want to solve this problem. And that's the only motivation we all have. And I think that messaging really helped me. Like I, I, I'm with you, every convening, the room was full. Like everybody showed up to every single convening. The final one in May had an over a hundred people. Every seat was taken in the room. It was fantastic. And I think it's that motivation that people want to see change in the community. And if you can message well, I think it rallies the troops. Uh, so I think that, that was well said. Uh, Kay, I know you, you've been uh, watching from the outside. But you know, uh, looking in, what, what has stood out for you?
4: I would say looking in, because I had a chance to study some of this work prior to coming on to True Fund, um, it's just the tracking of the sustainability for small businesses. Once they get along, how well do we track their sustainability? Are they in existence for three to four years, eight to 10 years? Or are they in need of uh, more services now? I think that is a huge gap that we need to close. And I think uh, we've learned from the PPP, you just even now some of those businesses weren't appropriately tracked. And so coming back, circling back, how do we as a community track our own uh, viability for opening closing businesses uh, to close the gap there? Uh, with this fund, um, how are we gonna track um, the, the opening, the closings, the mergers, you know, we need to be able to track that and tell the story. Did, did the funding help them? Um, historically, I, I've seen this across the nation. That has not been done in a way that is increasing the lifespan of, of, of a business. And that's what we want to do. We want businesses to be here, you know, for, for eight to 10, 20 years. And we can only do that if we understand what's happening to them um, on the ground and like in real time. Like what are not just you know during a disaster or an emergency, but what's going on in their own and their personal, what's going on in their everyday um, business lives that we can do um, and, what, and understand what we can do to change that and help them. Yep. so
1: as we kind of uh, you know, wrap this up, I would love to have you kind of talk about, Tarsha, where are we headed next? And, uh, you know, what can uh, people that are following, and I know there's a lot of, you know, slowly from being Dallas interest to Texas interest to our national interest on, on this work, uh, you know, what can people expect next uh, in terms of where this project is headed?
2: Yeah, so phase one of this project was really the study itself, um, which we presented at the May 2nd convening to the Dallas ecosystem. And so since May, since May uh, the work is continuing, we have uh, many of those same uh, ecosystem builders and partners at the table and we have broken up into many committees and task force, so we have uh, a committee that's focused on how- who are the trusted connectors and how do we engage them? Um, what, How do we connect with them? So we have one committee working on um, building that list and outreach to those con- uh, trusted connectors. We also have a committee focused on the CDFIs. Um, for those of you who who received the white paper, you'll see that over 50% of the nonprofit lenders which are the cdfis turned down entrepreneurs of color so we have a whole task force around better understanding you know digging deeper um, interviewing and talking to each of those cdfis to learn about their loan products and what the criteria is and then we have a uh, committees around business support and this is not just business support for the entrepreneur because We kind of know what they need. This also focuses on what TA does the BSOs or ESOs need around a loan fund to better educate them on how to vet, to train and refer entrepreneurs to this loan fund. So that's where we currently are with the goal of these small groups coming back in uh, late August saying, you know, they all have action items, they all have deliverables, and they're coming back in late August to say, here's the list of trusted connectors that we want to start with. Um, Here are the different types of entrepreneur of color funds or funds available that target that audience so that we can evaluate and say, you know, well, this organization is already doing it. This organization is already doing it. How can we come together and create a, a unified solution? Uh, so that's what that committee is coming back with. And then finally, on the uh, outreach or uh, committee is, Uh, How how are we going to get the word out? Um, So our goal is that's phase two of it. Um, Hopefully, Uh, to get those action items by late August, early September, and then phase three, and and while we're in phase two, we are uh, looking at these community partners who want to come together to collaborate, to fundraise together. Um, This is a huge initiative, and Kay mentioned it before, a hub and spoke model um, works Um, when you have the right people uh, coming together and you have the right kind of product or program that you can come together to to, uh, go to foundations, go to CRA officers to get funding for this initiative. So that's all part of phase two. And then phase three is really rolling out this um, unique affordable loan fund during the first quarter of 24.
1: All right. So uh, this is really exciting. As we wrap up, I'm going to ask uh, Holly for you to go first. If you had like one success metric from this project, uh, saying that we can't solve for all, if we have to solve for one, I'll ask the same question to you, Kay, then Tarsha, I'll let you have the final word uh, on, on on, you know, as we wrap things up, like what will success look like? Let's say we did another uh, uh, webinar six months from now. And we looked back and said, okay, you know what does progress look like? So, so Holly, uh, to you first.
3: So I actually want to sort of double click onto what Kay mentioned prior to this is like, I want to, for me, success would be understanding, how to start tracking? what is the what is the long-term impact of this? And are we actually building tools along this journey to be able to to engage with these entrepreneurs, not just at the exciting beginning part, but throughout that process? And what are we building to to a sort of accompany and support this process that isn't money? because we know that the money is essential, but the money isn't everything. And obviously the tools that we've been building previously are not all working. So sort of re-envisioning that and understanding how do we carry that support process along with that journey of that loan. So if it's a three to five-year loan, how like we want to be with them the whole way through. How are we tracking that success? So for me, success would be understanding how we're going to be able to carry that through the life of that loan with that business owner.
1: Well said. Okay,
4: For me, it would be the packaging piece because I'm a CDFI, and i I, I think for us partnering with institutions who could help prepackage um, small business documents, I think that would be a win, not just for my institution but other institutions across the board. The better we can get a grasp on that, I think we'll have uh, win-win situations with all financial institutions who are servicing in the Dallas area. And Tarsha.
2: Yes. Yeah, so short-term success would look like we have um, a, a fully funded loan fund. And that that's what short-term success would look like. I mean, we're, we're doing, we've done the research, we're doing these meetings for a reason, is to launch a loan fund. And so that means that we've raised the $5 million that we're looking to invest into this loan fund. So that's what short-term success looks like for me, Uh, long-term success a year from now, a couple of years from now is that uh, since, I'm going to back up, since this study we did focus on certain zip codes in the southern sector of Dallas, I think it's important to bring that um, to light um, because that is an area of of Dallas that is under-resourced and while there's all areas in the DFW Metroplex that Need entrepreneurs need support. We want to focus on that the southern sector because we can make a huge impact. We can bring additional resources to that area. So, more long term success looks like for me is that in that area, we have 50 to 100 entrepreneurs funded, um, that we have uh, new businesses started in that area and not only new businesses started but those businesses have resources that they need to sustain so for me that's the short and the long-term success of this project
1: and i'll go one step further i would love for us after we've launched this fund to prove our hypothesis that there are businesses that are fundable and should be funded that haven't been funded because of the mechanics of how we decided who gets funded that if we could prove in the Dallas market that with a better design, we can reach more people of color and more businesses in general, uh, we can actually then take this and bring this to other markets that are have the exact same problems, St. Louis, Baltimore, Detroit, all of these markets that we're in, we see the same challenges. But we need somebody to raise their hand and say, we'll go first and we'll prove that this is doable. So I'm really excited for Dallas's story and what you've all set out to do. And I'm excited to have Front Row C to see this journey play out. Uh, I'd like to thank you all, uh, Tarsha, Holly and Kay uh, for your insights and for your time today uh, and for sharing your experiences and your lessons learned. This is going to be invaluable in at least starting the conversations in several other markets that have the same challenges today. So thank you for your time.
2: Thank you, David, for putting this together.
0: Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. You can find show notes, more episodes, send us ideas, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, economicimpactcatalyst.com. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers, available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.